Hello, and welcome back to yet another episode of In Defense of Liberation, the show that is working towards and educating about uh, true people's liberation. Um, I am your host, Josh. Uh, If this is your first time tuning in, thanks for stopping by. Uh, I hope that we uh, can do good for you. And for those of you who are coming back, thanks also to you. I appreciate that, and uh, I hope that that continues. Um, So what I want to talk about today is kind of twofold. Um, First and foremost, I want to talk about the inadequacy and uh, insignificance that is the Democratic Party, especially now uh, as we have the Biden administration in office. Uh, And then from that point, I kind of want to transition into talking about, you know, generally why it is that so many people today, uh, you know, find themselves saying, you know, I hate the government or this government doesn't do anything for me or the government is corrupt or it doesn't matter who we put in office. You know, they're just going to do whatever they want for themselves. Right. That is not conspiracy. That is not any kind of lunacy uh, on the part of the people who are saying that. Uh, It's very, very obvious to us, everyone, uh, in the three years between election season, um, that this is true, right? We can all agree that the government is corrupt. Come election season, though, we're all going to be sitting in line at that ballot box because... Our entire life, we have been told that the one way that we can impact change as Americans is through voting. Now, I don't mean to diminish anyone's feelings here, but if you as a human being, as an adult human being, are convinced that the only power that you have is signing a piece of paper next to the certain names that have been chosen for you out of the you know, few, which ones you would want, if you think that is the most power that you have as a human being, it's very depressing. Um, and the majority of people today, it seems, are convinced that the only power they have is voting. You know, that's why so many people went out in droves and voted for Joe Biden. Or I would just fucking hope that's why they did that. I mean, it makes sense because, you know, another like 40% of the population just straight up didn't vote. So it seems about in line that people are starting to recognize that this system makes them pretty powerless. But human beings are not powerless. Um, We are made powerless in this system, but this system need not stay. Um, And we'll get to that, so let's not get ahead of myself. So, it was reported uh, yesterday after the Biden town hall thing that he will not be canceling student debt. Um, It seems as if he won't take any practical steps towards uh, police abolition or defunding, let alone even police reform other than simply moving some money around. On top of that, um, I mean, again, I didn't really, I didn't watch the town hall in any significant amount. But as far as I have read, 
I'm not seeing anything on us pulling our, you know, 800-some military bases that exist all over the world. We're not going to stop aiding in conflicts all over the world, including the genocide of the people of Yemen by Saudi Arabia, one of our closest allies, um, believe it or not. So, because this is true, and I mean, not for nothing, I don't want to say, like, I told you so, but really anyone who was paying attention could have recognized that this wasn't going to be the change that anyone thought it would be. I mean, look at the eight years of Obama. Absolutely nothing improved in general for the majority of the working class people, right? So why would we expect that his vice president, the old white former segregationist sexual predator, is going to do any better? So, I mean, not for nothing. Who's surprised by this? No one. But it's still important to talk about because the problem still stands that this system, right? And, and I guess we can take a pause on that. The Democratic Party exists as a shell. It is a faux pas, aesthetically pleasing, uh, yet utterly useless political party. Um, As we saw during the last year of Trump's presidency, 2020, while we were all trying to, you know, fucking survive, uh, the Democrats were incapable of doing anything to help the majority of people, right? Now, they are in a position of power where they have no excuse. They can't say the Republicans are stopping us. They hold all the power that they need to put into, you know, place the, the changes that we need right now. And they're not. So what does that mean, right? Like the fact that the Democrats aren't doing these things to some might seem like, okay, well, then we shouldn't be doing them because the party that says they're going to help us uh, isn't doing them. And I mean, I don't think that anyone actually believes that. But if anybody does, you should know that uh, a lot of times people do bad things because uh, it benefits them. Uh, not because it's actually good for anyone, uh, except for themselves. So that's what the Democratic Party is doing and has done since it's, you know, dawning into existence. Uh, If you can't agree with that, fine. Um, Look at any and all history and come back to me. Um... It's quite evident in the United States to the citizens who are willing to pay attention, and I shouldn't even use that word citizens, but it just kind of slips off the tongue, uh, to the people of the United States uh, who live here and are paying attention to what our, our government is doing, they are keenly aware that it doesn't matter who is in charge. It matters who's in charge. And who is in charge is not the people, right? It's very evident that no matter what quote-unquote representative we have in these positions of power, they are still not the people. They are not of the people. And so they have no, I mean, that would be like expecting me as a white person to be able to go into a community and clearly, eloquently, and, you know, purposefully advocate for the history of, you know, uh, 
black indigenous people of color and their mistreatment in any way that doesn't, you know, nullify entire stories, entire cultures. Because I am not of that and therefore I can only be expected to have a certain level of education. And even that level of education is predicated on my interest on wanting to learn. Uh, the Democratic Party has no interest in what the people want. If they did, they would be putting into practice what the people want. Because it's not like we have been silent about what it is we need. And we don't even need to say anything. Um, the people in halls of power are the reason why those of us without power are suffering. So they're well aware of the things that we are suffering from. Um, they are choosing not to do anything about it, not because they are some, you know, evil cabal of fucking whatever. They are, but that's not the reason why. The reason why is because, quite simply, the more they give to us, the less they have for themselves. And in our society right now, there is a clear distinction between two groups of people within society. The haves and the have-nots. There's a million different ways to call it. You can say the oppressed or the oppressors, the exploited or the exploiters, the ruling class, the working class, those in control of society, those under control of society, those with power and those without. There's those two groups within our society, and those two groups are very obviously uh, able to be distinguished from one another, right? If today I can go without a single worry in my mind, without a steady income, that I'm going to be able to provide for myself everything that I need, that is a level of privilege that the majority of people alive today, not just in the United States, but everywhere, cannot and will not be able to enjoy themselves until our system changes. But you got to understand that the reason why our system is like this, again, is not due to any, you know, evil entity. It's not some uh, idealistic evil spirit that has taken over the minds of these people. No. If you look at history, you have before feudalism and also into feudalism and also after feudalism and also still during capitalism because these things are not, you know, cut and dry. This is absolutism. This is feudalism. This is capitalism. That's not how this works. But you had a period of time that can be described broadly as absolute rule of monarchy, right? Absolutism. And that was when kings and queens and then their constituents, their council, whatever they had, had complete dominion over the entire nation. There was no power in the hands of the people, not even voting rights, right? Not that those are super important, but still, it's, it's important to recognize that even that didn't exist. Well then, because, I mean, not for nothing, obviously, that makes a lot of people who, for hundreds of years, starved, died, went homeless, da 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 and had no means to change it, it made a lot of people angry. So there were a lot of revolutions all over the world. Um, some of the more notable ones happened in France. Uh, the reason why is because in France they were able to establish for the first time 
a liberal democracy, a parliamentary body that was supposed to, you know, exist and act as the middleman between the people and the monarchy. But the problem was, as we are clearly still experiencing today, that parliament could be completely ignored by the monarchy and those actually in power. And if it wasn't completely ignored outright, they could implement changes that give the uh, impression of improvement, but yet are so tied up in an inability an inaction, right? Because a lot of times, especially here in America, oh, there's a a homeless problem. Okay, let's donate $1 billion to homelessness. What the fuck does that do? Nothing. On top of that, that parliamentary body had no power to hold the monarchy, to hold the people actually in power accountable for not doing what the people wanted. Again, These governments could just outright ignore the parliament, do whatever they want, and then there's nothing that's going to hold them accountable. There's no consequences to come. They're the ones in power. They'll fucking kill you, right? Well, then we have some more revolutions all over the world where people start saying, no, you know, we got to lay hold of the state and try to use it for the people, Supposedly, that's what Napoleon tried to do. Uh, His coup d'etat was to, you know, overthrow the powers that were in charge because the liberals and the conservatives, after those revolutions, spent all their time just bickering amongst one another in these parliamentary bodies that weren't actually doing anything. So then Napoleon, with the, you know, the power of the army, they're able to step in and just start you know, taking over because the people were sick and tired of, you know, this body of government saying they were going to do these things for the people. They were going to create change for the people. And yet they just spent their time bickering amongst one another saying, no, this is what's going to help the people or that's going to, what's help, what's going to help the people. When in actuality, all they were really doing was just being in power. The same way that the governments before them, the monarchs, did absolutely nothing for the people, these parliamentary bodies did absolutely nothing for the people because all they really did was just supplement themselves for the former, you know, powers and the former monarchy that was in place. There was nothing that actually structurally changed other than who was in the halls of power. This should sound familiar to a lot of us. Now, this is the 1800s. This is 200 years ago, right? In 1848, there were revolutions across, the, across Europe from 1848 to 1851 that started saying that they were opposed to this, right? They started saying, no, we don't like it when these people just simply take power and then don't do anything for us. Well, the problem was once those revolutions got into power, they did the same thing. And it was because their ideology was lacking. Their understanding of what the state represented at the period of time that it existed, how just simply laying hold of the ready-made state power was not enough to change what it was that was a problem 
that, that, you know, that state power had created. And on top of that, you didn't really have the material conditions to create the need for a change. Like, a lot of the people who were the revolutionaries at the time were just the middle class. They were the lawyers, the artisans, the, the, the petty bourgeois. They weren't the people who were revolting. They were using the anger of the people to power their revolution and put them into places of power. Once they got to those places, because they weren't actually beholden to the people, because they weren't actually of the people, of the class, you know, of working class people, they didn't do anything that, that changed, right? Nothing, if nothing has changed, then nothing has changed. Simply put, only the form of government had changed. But its essence, the, the structure and the foundation of that government was still the same. And it is still the same today. So what is that structure? What is that foundation that has made it impossible for all these revolutions to actually implement the change they say they're trying to implement? Well, simply put, to jump it back to what we were talking about earlier, it's those classes. You know, you have two groups of people. You have those of us who are in power and those of us who are without power. Because of that, when those of us who already have power just get into higher seats of power, it's only changing, really, the quantity of change. There's only more people or different people or different forms of government. But the quality of that rule, the quality of that government, the foundation of that government has not changed. It is, stu- it is still a rule of the minority over the majority. And that is, of course, not to mean minorities as in, you know, people of color and folks who are oppressed today, but the minority as in the rich and wealthy elite, the bourgeoisie. They have continuously been in charge and been at the helm of these revolutions, right? Well, there's something that happened in 1871 that changed that. It's a little thing called the Paris Commune. And because, unfortunately, I don't have the time to go into depth to talk about it, uh, you should, if you haven't already, check out uh, the Marx Madness episodes on the Paris Commune. I believe Red Menace or Revolutionary Left Radio also does episodes on the Paris Commune. And if you're interested... Uh, read Marx's The Civil War in France, and then uh, Lenin also does some writing about the Paris Commune himself. Both of those are, are great reads and show how the Commune was able to be, for the first time, a rule of the majority over the minority. So for the first time ever in 1871 in Paris, after, I believe it was Germany who was invading France, and the French aristoc- or the French bourgeoisie had left Paris, had completely, you know, uh, just left it. The people who were still there because they didn't have the money to leave took power for themselves. Um, it was a process, but eventually in 1871 there was a revolution in Paris where what became known as the Paris Commune was established. And this was the first true proletarian revolution. It was a revolution 
of the people, of the working class that implemented change in a way that benefited the working class, right? That's, that's the first time that something like that had ever happened. One of the, actually, not one of, the only correction to the Communist Manifesto that has ever happened was when Marx and Engels discussed the Paris Commune after its historical event. Because prior to the Paris Commune, where the, the Communist Manifesto was written before the, the um, Paris Commune. So after the Paris Commune happened, Engels and Marx went back and wrote about it because it literally gave them answers that the Communist Manifesto did not have. That's crazy. So it was a qualitative jump. It was a qualitative change in government. For the first time ever, there was a government, a state, that had crushed the bourgeoisie state, the rule of the minority over the majority, and put in its place the rule of the majority over the minority. That is consequentially the first time that the proletariat has ever taken power in such a way. We had many revolutions like that since, uh, of which a lot of people have qualms with and I don't fucking care about. Um, But it's important to recognize today that that qualitative jump has not happened. It doesn't matter who we have in power, Joe Biden, Barack Obama, Donald Trump, Ronald Reagan, Bush, Bush Sr., Clinton. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter who's in the House of Representatives, Congress, the Senate. It doesn't matter who the judges are. It doesn't matter who's passing or writing the legislation. It doesn't matter who's signing that legislation. The problem is it's not the people. And it surely isn't the majority. And so if that is the case, that's a problem. Because here's the thing. Right now, as we've discussed before, 70 to 80% of people cannot afford an emergency $400 expense that they were not, you know, prepared for. They'll have to go into debt one way or another in order to pay that bill. On top of that, I think the statistic is some 73% of people who cannot afford to keep their place of residency, their house, their apartment, what have you, if they go without a job for a single month, they will lose their home. That is a level of instability. That is a level of inequality that has never been before seen on this earth, and especially not in this country, because what's really awful about America, and the reason why it still has yet to, you know, make its way towards true revolutionary um, praxis is the fact that there is a level of wealth that exists in this country that allows for the powers and people in power to grant huge concessions, huge reforms that other smaller and less wealthy countries could not. And that, you know, really, really staves off the revolutionary fervor that has always existed in the United States. If you're not aware, um, a great book to read would be uh, A People's History of the United States. This country, America, has true revolutionary history. Um, In that, it had revolutionary fervor at the helm, but it was co-opted. And that co-option still happens today. That co-option is when those in power grant concessions 
grant reforms, pass, you know, laws, legislation that allows for the struggling masses to struggle a little bit less. And because they're struggling a little bit less and because there is a huge portion of the population which is not uh, impoverished in a way that we might think the global south is impoverished, but is impoverished in a way where, again, one missed check can put us right in the same place. One missed check can, or one month's missed uh, employment can put us out of a home. <clears throat> that's poverty. It's just a different level of poverty. And that's not to say that these people suffer less or to compare suffering in any way, shape, or form, because not for nothing, anyone who tries to compare something like suffering is an opportunist and also an asshole. Because people suffer differently because we're all different. We all live different lives. We all live in different places and experience different things. And so it can only be said this way that suffering cannot be compared qualitatively or quantitatively, but can only be expressed as different forms of suffering. Um, They can't be compared nor contrasted, but they can be expressed simultaneously. And it is true that people suffer differently, but not for nothing, the majority of people suffer. And because of that, something needs to change. Um, If you're still listening, I appreciate you very much, and I hope that you will continue listening on to some of my other stuff. Uh, If you don't know, I have a blog, uh, which you can find at forliberation.wixsite, that's W-I-X-S-I-T-E, dot com forward slash website. Uh, you can find my blog there. That's my website. You know, you can check that out. Let me know what you think. Let me know if there's anything I could add to it to make it better. I need to figure out how to get my podcast to post on there, but I I don't know how to do all that. Uh, if you want to check out my social media, I have TikTok, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, all at In Defense of Liberation. But if you want to get a little bit more personal, you want to reach out to me for whatever reason, you want to call me an asshole, you want to tell me I'm a fucking moron, or you want to reach out to me and organize with me, you want to be, you know, talking about theory, you want to become my friend, fucking whatever, you can go ahead and reach out to me at annoyingquestionboy, spelt just like that, no caps, no spaces, at gmail.com. But other than that, folks, that's all I have for you today. Um... But I want to just, you know, make this point clear before we go. Um, Like I said, if nothing has changed, then nothing has changed. We have to recognize this separation between, you know, actual revolutionary change and opportunism. Because here in America, opportunism has festered forever since the dawning of this nation since the massacre of all the people who lived here and who we brought here to enslave, this country has remained the same. And because of that, we can't call for changes that are not revolutionary. We can't call for changes that up, you know, uphold the system, that perpetuate capitalism. We have to call for an end to capitalism. We have to call for an end to liberal representative democracy. Because these things do not help the people. They are not made for the people. They are not made by the people. And they will never help the people. 
If we want to help the people, then we have to create a system that is by the people, that is for the people. A rule of the majority over the minority. And that is a proletarian state. Wholeheartedly different than the state as we conceptualize it today, than the bourgeoisie state. For more on that, we might be having a conversation soon. I've been spending a lot of time in theory, so I might get into that. Uh, But yeah, just let me know what you think. Uh, And yeah, thanks for listening, folks. Uh, Power to the people. And uh, I hope you're all staying safe and healthy during these times. Solidarity to all struggling people all over the world. I hope everybody is able to uh, endure these times with the most sanity as possible. Uh, And I hope that this show has done something to help you uh, through that. So, yeah, thanks for listening. This has been uh, (laughs) not Annoying Question Boy. Used to be Annoying Question Boy. This has been In Defense of Liberation, the show working towards and educating about a true proletarian uh, revolution and a true people's liberation movement. Uh, I have been your host, Josh. Josh. (laughs) And we'll see you next time, folks. Have a great day.